You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And today it's David's pick. And my pick, uh, I, I have to take an extra breath every time I even start thinking about this. But we have Senior Chief Keith Forrest Post on today. And he's the director of... Uh, submarine, and boy, if I just say that word, I get chill bumps and uh, go crazy. But we'll be back with Keith in a minute. Right now, we're going to do what we started doing a tradition of, and that's um, just a moment of silence. And that's out of respect for my friend and the memorial that we do for J. Roy Ritchie that died this year from uh, the effects of Agent Orange in Vietnam. And... Um, we do that, and then we have a little uh, little other thing that I love to do. So with that being said, let's take just a moment. We'll take one minute, and we'll be back with you after we think about our brothers and sisters that have served and are serving for us. the ultimate sacrifice one way or the other and those that are serving today and those that are coming down the road that will serve and protect us we have the greatest military in the world and we always will so with that let's get up and running and going Okay, we've had enough of that training call for the time being, and uh, want to thank uh, those that always participated in the cadence call. I don't uh, running on a ship or running in a submarine, Keith. I don't know that uh, you all did Jody's or cadence calls. No, no, we sure didn't. <laughs> we did a lot of other crazy things, uh, but uh, but not that. No cadence <laughs> calls. Good morning, David. It's great to be with you. Well, thank you, sir, and it's it's a pleasure having you on. Other than the subject, and like I said, I just I sort of um, well, I've got a bad case of claustrophobia, and and I guess it would have affected me when I was flying, except I had windows all around me, and I could see what was in front of me and what was down below me. But uh, well, I tell you what, the tours that I've taken, and and I I should qualify that. Uh, 
I've only been on World War II subs that were <laughs> extremely small. Uh, I think I think they're whales bigger than some of the subs that we had in World War II. But um, you're in St. Mary's, Georgia, and uh, yep, I'm about as far away from you as you can get and still be in the state of Georgia. We're way down here on the southeast corner. In fact. Through our front door and through our periscope, which goes through our roof, you can see across the river to Florida. That's how close we are. <laughs> you must be pretty close to uh, Jacksonville. We are. We're about 30 minutes from the airport and about 45 minutes from downtown. Oh, well, let's let's start. Let's jump right into it. Tell us about, I, I really, I'm, as much as I've been in Savannah and that area and Charleston, I... I didn't know, and this this is something that we stress a lot. Um, there are so many military are uh, memorials and monuments in Georgia, and so many people don't take advantage of them. I think this, from what I understand about your operation, the St. Mary's Submarine Museum. And uh, I think our com- oh, we got to dedicate this show too to our common friend. What is his name? Submarine. Uh, um, Submarine Mike. Mike Sub- Kotler. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'll bet you I had an email from him a week or so ago, and I'll bet you he's listening this morning. So good morning, Mike. Good morning, Mike. And uh, Mike is such a great guy. And uh, you know, by the way, Keith, I, we didn't get to chat that much before, and 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 you bring up the name Mike Submarine Mike, and. Uh, there's one hardball question that I'm asking you, and I, I hope you're sitting down as I ask this. But oh, being oh yeah, this is a tough one, and nobody he warned me about you. Yeah, well, nobody's gotten it right yet, so we'll see <laughs> if, if a, a Navy man can. But okay, and submarine Mike's a perfect perfect example. When you're with a group of your peers, veterans, be they Army, Navy, Coast Guard, whatever they happen to be, Air Force. Can you name one friend, one veteran that you know that can tell one story? Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) It's not possible. It is not within our DNA to just tell one story. In fact, you know, I I was trying to figure out how I was going to be able to talk to you with just an hour this morning. You know, we especially if we get starting on sea stories. So uh, <laughs> I, I can understand why nobody has gotten that question right. <laughs> well, or they don't know anybody. They're just I don't like you said. It's in the DNA. They they just haven't ever invented that uh, one veteran that can tell one story. And you get six veterans going, and and it's uh, the one upmanship. Yeah, I can remember that, but I got a better story in that for you, and it's exactly, I love them. Exactly. We also stress one other thing, Keith, and and I'm sorry we didn't get to talk more before, but that is the fact that you and all the other veterans are our history books today, and I beg all the veterans that are listening to get their grandkids, their kids, whatever the case might be. And tell them about what you did in the service. And that goes for grandmas, too, that served. So just just grab up your grandkids or your kids and tell them what you did in the military because our history books, our public school history books, are not telling the stories today like they should. And there's no better way than uh, a grandpa to, to tell his grandkids what he did. And that's why... It is so important to take your kids 
and your grandkids to St. Mary's Submarine Museum in St. Mary's, Georgia. And uh, I think it's, you know, we've got that. We've got, we've got so many great things in Georgia. We've got the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame that is superb. And it lists all the, well, all the inductees that have been brought in uh, to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And uh, Rick White does an excellent job uh, as the director of it. And we need to get people to go there. We need people, if they're not aware of the Johns Creek Vietnam Healing Wall or a wall that heals, it's out in Johns Creek in Newtown Park. And we encourage that. We encourage folks to go to the Peachtree Corners Memorial. We just have so many great places. You could take a week, and correct me if I'm wrong, Keith, but you could take a week and go from from uh, St. Mary's up here to Atlanta to Peachtree Corners to Johns Creek, and a day at a time, maybe two days at a time, plus your driving time, and, and you would have the most enjoyable week you could imagine in my I opinion. could not agree more. In fact, I'll talk later on about that. I've got some notes here to share with the, you and your listeners about the new Georgia World War II Heritage Trail, which covers just what you said, and uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. But if I could, I'd like to say something. Uh, you said something that uh, hit a nerve with me about families and about uh, relatives in the military and stuff and kids and teaching kids. Uh, tomorrow, one of the great things that we do in the museum is we host a lot of youth groups, uh, be it Boy Scouts or church groups. Uh, tomorrow we have an early learning school that's coming. They usually come every year. They weren't able to come last year because of COVID. But uh, they'll be at the museum tomorrow morning, and I so look forward to that. Um, but I also, uh, I come from a military family. I'm very fortunate in that regard. My dad was in the Coast Guard for 29 years. He has since forgiven me for going the wrong way, and I want to give a big <laughs> shout-out to him. He's up in Murphy, North Carolina this morning. My dad will be 92 in July. He has a cabin up there where he spends a few months each summer, and uh, I feel very blessed to still have him in my life, and I thank him for his service. And ironically, his dad, my grandfather, was in World War One. And he was on a submarine chaser, and here I went on a submarine. And my grandfather lived long enough to see me graduate from sub-school, but not long enough to see my first submarine, but my grandmother did. Oh. And uh, on my mom's side of the family, I had three cousins who served in World War, excuse me, in Vietnam. They Thankfully, they all came home. My cousin Bobby was in the Air Force, Ricky was in the Marine Corps, and David was in the Army. And on my dad's side of the family, I had three cousins who served after, or one towards the tail end of Vietnam in the Navy, George, and my cousins, Bruce and Bobby, who were in the Air Force. And their father, my Uncle Al, was one of my big inspirations. My dad was my inspiration for service. My Uncle Al was my inspiration for going in the Navy because he was at the landing in Normandy. Mm. And... Uh, one uh, weekend when I was in college, I, li- I went to college upstate New York, about an hour from where they lived. He sat down and showed me all of his photo albums that uh, apparently the executive officer on his, he was on an LCI landing craft that hauled the infantry to the beaches. And his XO's parents had a photo lab in Minnesota, as I recall. And after the war, they sent every crew member or the families of the crew members who didn't make it a copy of all the photographs that their son took during, during Normandy. And he showed me all these. And uh, my uncle was a big barrel chested cement plant worker, uh, after that, after he got out of the Navy, you know, he could bench press a Volkswagen. And I still remember <laughs> the day he showed me that book with tears running down his eyes uh, about the guys that didn't come home. And he taught me that day about honor, courage, and commitment. I learned from him and I didn't realize it until years later, how much of an impact that day had on me. 
But I will tell you, when I retired in September of 2003, he was at my retirement ceremony, and uh, along with seven other people, including my dad, I honored him at my retirement ceremony, along with the admiral that I worked for at the time, who, ironically enough, his dad was at the landing in Normandy at a, as a chief boatswain's mate. I had a flag flown at the American Cemetery in Normandy and presented to him. Oh, and then uh, a few oh. years after that, unfortunately, he passed away, and my aunt wanted me to officiate at his funeral, so I had... Long since been retired, about five years, I think, and the uniform didn't fit too well, so I had to go get a new uniform. But I, <laughs> I paid proper tribute to my uncle who served our nation so well, and, my, and I salute all my relatives and everybody who uh, has worn the cloth of our nation in the armed forces. So well, uh, thank you for letting me share that. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, in return, I will. Uh, I generally mention this, and people are probably tired of me doing it, but. Uh, my dad served in World War II as a, a Navy officer, captain, and uh, my son is a major in the Air Force now and serving serving us today. And uh, I'm concerned that uh, we may have to call on him before long. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, service to your country. And, and we, again, we always tout, too, the fact that if, if you're a graduating high school senior or you've gotten your college degree and you haven't quite decided what you want to do yet, but you like doing so-and-so, I guarantee that some branch of the military has the greatest opportunity you'll ever have in your life. It doesn't matter what you want to do, but the military, one branch or the other, can fulfill that dream. And then when you get out of the military... Your resume will put you one step ahead of the person next to you because HRs, human resource people, look at your service record, and they know that you're dependable. They know that you're, you have leadership qualities like no other person, and they know that you have served your country honorably. And I could not agree more. You know, we, we've got to uh, – I love – the, I was in the voluntary military, and our volunteers today, we are the best of the best. And uh, I, I honor all of them, all of our veterans. And, Keith, thank you for your service. As, and you retired as a senior chief. Now, Yes, sir. I was a sonar tech. For, uh, for those folks that like submarine movies and got to see The Hunt for Red October, the uh, uh, sailor on the USS Dallas, that uh, Jonesy, that's what I did in the Navy. I was a submarine sonar technician. Wow. So you were li always listening for the beep, 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 or whatever? Or so ding, ding, ding. More of the whatever, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I'm a drylander, so I don't really know a whole lot about the Navy and uh my father wasn't upset with me when I joined the, the reserves, and, uh, you know, I wasn't, wasn't interested in the Navy particularly. I'd, I grew up in Texas where we weren't sure we were going to have drinking water, much less big, big uh, oceans to mess with. So I stayed, uh, I stayed with the uh, 11 Bravo on the ground, but... Tell us what you, okay, you were a sonar, sonar, right? 
Yes, sir. I was a sonar tech, and uh, I served on two of our old, what we call our 41 for Freedom, which was our early ballistic missile submarines, which started with the George Washington. I served on the Nathan Hale SSBN 623 and the Casimir Pulaski SSBN 633. And then I did a, a northern deployment on the USS Omaha SSN 692, which was is one of our LA class. It's, those three have all been decommissioned. And then I was on the commissioning crew and the uh, blue crew. I did three deployments on the USS Nebraska, which was a new Trident submarine when we were commissioned. Hard for me to believe that it's 25 years old already. Uh, we, or actually, it's more than that. We, we celebrate the 25th anniversary uh, three years ago, so it's uh, 28 years old now. It just came out of overhaul and uh, getting a refueling, so it's got a new tank of gas to go another 20 years. But uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, David. I, I mentioned to you that uh, you you told me you're a little claustrophobic. Well, my mother, uh, God bless her, rest her soul, she is the poster child for claustrophobia. And uh, <laughs> when we commissioned the Nebraska, we were able to uh, bring uh, family members up there for the commissioning up in Connecticut. And uh, the Trident submarine is pretty large. It's 560 feet long. And it has three main compartments inside, plus the reactor compartment. And it has, has engineering, it has missile compartment, it has operations. And each one of those compartments has what's called an LET, a logistics escape trunk. It's pretty wide across, and it has a locking ring. And when you're in port, they can shift the locking ring, and they can pull that thing out, making a big hole in the boat. The primary purpose for that is to be able to remove and repair equipment, such as big pumps or motors, that might go bad without having to do a cut on the hull. It's a lot safer. It, it doesn't you know, require a lot of welding and radiography afterwards. It's a lot safer to do it that way. But the other benefit of it is when they're in port, they can put a spiral staircase in. So after the ceremony uh, on July 10th of 93, they had a spiral staircase in the missile compartment on the operations, and you could bring your family members down through the missile compartment, give them a tour, and then they could go out the operations compartment. Well, on the Trident submarine, berthing is in third level, Third, which is three levels down, basically, that the numbers go down since you're going down in a submarine, unlike on a surface ship, they go up. And uh, I had my family members in there, and I took them to the bunk room to show them what our bunk's like. And they're, they're nine-man bunk rooms, so you got three on one side, three outboard, and three on the other side, and then you go in between the missile tubes to get out. Mm. Well, I made the mistake of laying on the bunk to show them what it was like. And it's sort of like laying in a coffin almost, but the entrance is on the side. And that... And I made the mistake of saying, and, and be- right now you're below the water line. You're underneath the water. Well, that didn't set well with my mother. I could tell <laughs> that she was freaking out a little bit. So I had to leave the, my rest of my family with some of my sonarmen to show, show them around the boat while I got my mother off the submarine. And she lasted 15 minutes, but that was 15 minutes more than I expected. So, so you're not alone in your claustrophobicness. Well, let me ask you, uh, on that size of a, and you all called submarines boats, correct? Yes, sir. On that size of a boat, did you have to share that bunk with anybody? No, sir. Trident submarine has more space than you can imagine. Like I put it in perspective, when you think about it, 560 feet of submarine, mm-hmm. that is almost two football fields. Okay. A football field is 300 feet, 100 yards, 300 feet. So, uh, but we have plenty of room and up outboard. Outside of, uh, if we take riders on board, we have spare uh, lockers. That, so everybody has their own rack. Unlike when I was on the Omaha, I was a first class, so I didn't have to hot bunk. But uh, the younger guys, uh, you know, the seamen recruits and the seamen that just get stationed on the boat, uh, they have to share a bunk. So when one guy's up on watch, the other guy's sleeping. So uh, um, there's just not enough. There's too much equipment. Uh, as the boats have gotten more advanced with more electronics and more computers and more other stuff, 
there's not as there's not as much room for birthing. So uh, they've gotten better. That the new Virginia class are a little bigger than the LA class. They they are 377 feet long. They are an amazing platform. Occasionally, uh, I'm fortunate to visit one when they come here to Kings Bay for a port call, and I've attended the commissionings of three of them. So uh, I've gotten to see quite a few of the Virginia class. They're an amazing platform. Uh, we as a nation should be very proud of that technology. Well, I'm I'm very proud. When you would go out. Uh, on a mission or not mission or just whatever you all call them, uh, how long would you be out and be underwater? Uh, the longest I was ever deployed uh, without coming back was 95 days. Patrols average, uh, and uh, we just had one that did over 100, uh, I think around 115, if I remember right, on the West Coast. But uh, when I was making deployments, uh, when I first started, I did 10 patrols on the old boomers. Uh, we were, and, and when you leave, you're radio silence. Uh, you know, a missile boat is out there with missiles ready to launch that the president order it. And so you don't, you don't go active. We don't use active sonar. We don't you know, transmit when we're on alert. And uh, so it's a different world underneath the ocean out there. And uh, it was a tense time. When I first started making patrols, I made my first deployment about a week after Brezhnev died in the Soviet Union. Mm. And uh, it was uh, sort of a tense time back then. But uh, the guys now still still make, uh, you know, long patrols. They're still out there doing their mission. And uh, in addition to our 14 Trident missile submarines, we have four Tridents that were converted to SSGNs, which is a guided missile submarine. We have two here at Kings Bay. Uh, the Florida and the Georgia, and some people may have saw on the news the Georgia was just transiting uh, the Strait of Hormuz the other day off Iran, and the Iranians got a little feisty, and our surface ships and Coast Guard cutter had to set them straight. Um, the Georgia was transiting on the surface because that's a very uh, that's a choke point in the Middle East, as most people know. But that SSGN brings amazing capability to the combatant commanders. Uh, and on the West Coast, they have the Ohio and the Michigan, and our boats forward deployed to Guam and Diego Garcia. And we fly the crews back and forth, and they come home every you know they, every eighteen to twenty four months or something like that. But uh, we fly the crews back and forth. Each submarine has two crews, and the theory behind that is uh, dating all the way back to nineteen sixty when the George Washington made the first patrol was they were able to keep the boats out longer uh, without you know wearing out a crew. So while having two crews, you give the guys a chance to take a break, take leave, and they spend the off crew period when their other crew is out at sea doing patrols. The uh, during the off crew, the guys are going to school, learning, learning, you know, more training. They do trainers. You know, we have a, an amazing facility here at Kings Bay called TTF Trident Training Facility, and everything that's on one of our Trident submarines is in that building, with the exception of a nuclear reactor. They have a simulator, uh, they have a missile tube, torpedo tube. They have sonar trainers, dive and drive. Uh, they have everything in there to keep the crews proficient and to teach the new guys as they come on. Wow. So uh, it's an amazing facility. Uh, Kings Bay is, is an amazing place. And I I would assume you can't just walk onto it, right? Uh, no, you can't. If you don't have an ID card, you're not going to get through the front gate. And they're, <laughs> uh, they're pretty strict here, as they should be. And lower base is guarded by Marines, so uh, they really are strict. So, uh, you know, uh, you, and you, we're glad to have them. You brought up something that I would like to uh, embellish a little bit, and uh, that is our U.S. Coast Guard. And a lot of folks don't realize, and quite frankly, I didn't either until we had started the sh many shows and started talking about it. But many, the first thing I said the other day about uh, the Iranians getting a little feisty with one of our ships and the Coast Guard went in and um, unloaded a few uh, 
shells on them or towards them, and they decided they didn't want to. What do you mean the U.S. Coast Guard? Why wouldn't it have been a Navy cutter? And I said, well, you know, the U.S. Coast Guard is deployed in many areas. They were deployed in Vietnam, and a lot of folks would almost argue with you on that, but they were, and they they were the ones that... Um, I believe it still stands, but the U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Ingram, uh, I think, is one of the most decorated warships. That, that spent a lot of time in Vietnam and other places as well. Uh, so you're absolutely right. And uh, uh, the uh, and, and, and I'm glad you uh, mentioned the Coast Guard because one of the things that we have here at Kings Bay is we have all the sea services here. We have uh, the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard. The, the, uh, the Marines guard our assets here on the base and, and guard the waterfront. And the Coast Guard escorts our submarines in and out of port. And the reason why we use the Coast Guard is the Coast Guard has law enforcement authority. If you and I are on a, you know, a pleasure boat out there and uh, we get aggressive towards that submarine, the Coast Guard can come arrest us. They can seize our vessel. They can do all sorts of things that the Navy can't do. And that protects our, our, our missile submarines going in and out of port here. And that, that all came about after 9-11. Uh, um, you know, the, the security uh, posture here at the base and on our sister base on the West Coast has gotten a lot stronger, and, and bases all around uh, the world, uh, absolutely. But but the Coast Guard is an important part uh, of our maritime um, stuff, and they do amazing stuff. We're fortunate to have two units here in Kings Bay. We have the one on base that their sole mission is the protection of those submarines, and then out here in town we have the MSST, which is the Maritime Safety and Security Team. There are 12 of them sprinkled around the country, and those were stood up specially after 9-11 as well. They're a rapid deployment force. Uh, they have six uh, small boats on trailers here, and they come out and they, they put their boats in to do training right out front of the museum there at our waterfront uh, boat ramp. So I get to see them quite a bit. So uh, we're very fortunate to have all three sea services here. Absolutely. And uh, we salute all of the services and all of our veterans, no matter what you served in, we salute you. And uh, everybody should. And that brings me to another point. If uh, if you see somebody in uniform, or you see that you see a um, senior chief with I served on a USS whatever cap on, well, take Keith and buy him a dinner, or buy him a lunch, or buy him a drink. And um, and the most important thing is just say thank you for your service, sir. And uh, that goes a long ways, and we need to do it every place. Everybody needs to do it. And thank our all of our military branches and anybody that served. Thank you for your service. Now, let me ask: in in the museum, how many uh, boats do you all have? So the uh, so we do not physically. Uh, and before I tell you what we have, let me back up a second, if I could, and let you know that we just celebrated our 25th anniversary on 30 March uh, this year. We we opened the doors in uh, 1996 with Admiral Gene Fluckey as our commissioning speaker. Admiral Fluckey was one of the seven submariners during World War II to receive the Medal of Honor for his service on the USS Barb. And, I, David, I don't know if you're familiar with the Barb, but the Barb was very unique. Um, Admiral Fluckey wrote a, a book about the exploits of the Barb called Thunder Below, and he used all of the proceeds from the sale of that book. He used to take his crew... Uh, you know, years later, after he retired and everything, he he would take his crew members that were left on cruises, and he used the proceeds of the book to to do that for his for his crew members. Wow. But Admiral Admiral Fluckey's boat actually they put a landing party ashore on one of the Japanese islands, and they they had some folks that were pretty good with charges and detonators, and they detonated a 
railroad trestle when a supply train was coming across and took out that train. So on their battle flag, which you, if you look at Admiral Flucky's book on the very back of it, the back cover, it has a picture of his crew holding the battle flag, which we also have at the museum. And he gave uh, the museum a life ring from the USS Barb. So we have a couple of artifacts from the Barb. And the Navy base has a headquarters building named Flucky Hall in honor of Admiral Flucky. And there's some artifacts there as well. But uh, uh, on the back cover, the battle flag has a locomotive on the bottom of the battle flag. And that's the only <laughs> submarine battle flag that has a locomotive on it because of what they did. But uh, we opened in 96, and we are a great example of a public-private partnership that works. Uh, the city... Um, the building was built in 1911. It was donated by the Lucas family to the city in 1936. It was used as a, it was a movie theater and, and then it was used as a youth center and then it was boarded up for a while. Uh, and then in the early 90s, a group of citizens, uh, community leaders, elected officials, base leadership, and a lady uh, named Sheila McNeil, who is now a Georgia state senator, uh, she and, and a bunch of folks like Bill Wisensey and Royal Weaver and Tony Cobb and a whole bunch of other great folks got together and decided we should have a submarine museum here since we had the best submarine base in the world at Kings Bay. So that's how the museum came about. And the city still owns the building. We're a 501c3, so we raise all the money to operate it. Uh, so it's a great partnership that works. So a second, you know, the building was gutted. A second floor was added inside. So we have about 45 feet of the play space. So while we don't have a submarine across the river, uh, across the street at the river, we do have lots of artifacts and submarines. We have amazing models of all different types of classes. Um, and our downstairs is mostly dedicated to World War II and, and earlier submarines. Then we have a stairwell that goes up to the second floor, and those are all World War II battle flags. Uh, and a beautiful picture of a World War II subvets for Union here in 2015. And then up at the top, we just installed, while we were closed during COVID, we renovated. And uh, one of the things we discovered we had in storage was a brow banner from the USS Nautilus, which is the first nuclear submarine, and it's the only nuclear submarine that's not in commission that you can tour. It's at the submarine base uh, just outside the base in Groton, Connecticut, at the Navy Museum up there. But we have an, one of the original brow banners from the Nautilus, so we have it hanging at the very top of our stairwell. And as you go through the door to the second floor, that sort of welcomes you into the upstairs, which is all nuclear uh, Navy-related. We have amazing photographs and models, and we have a file on every sub. One of the things that we have that's pretty unique is we have the largest collection of World War II War Patrol reports, actual War Patrol reports, outside the National Archives. Wow. And uh, our submarines in World War II did over 1,600 patrols, and we paid a high, very high price for that. We, we comprised only about, for everybody that was in uniform in World War II, we were less than 2%. We had about 1.7% of the personnel, and um, typically one out of five submarines that left for patrol did not come back. We lost 52 boats and over 3,500 men during the war. So we, we pay a lot of uh, tribute to our World War II guys at the museum. We have an amazing collection. And about 90% of what we have in the museum was donated by the veterans themselves or uh, family members of the right. veterans. Keith, I'm going to have to interrupt you. We need to take a break. Uh, I skipped the yes, one, one, so we'll take this one, and we'll be back with Keith Post right after this. Hi. This is Rocky Blair, former four-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Vietnam veteran. As a board member, I'd like to talk to you about Warriors to Citizen, a nonprofit organization that helps American heroes, soldiers, police, fire, EMT, and their families recover from the psychological harm caused by career-induced stress. Over the last 20 years, broken relationships have been a major causal factor for the highest document divorce rate and resulting suicides in this population. 
This program, from lawyers to citizen, is delivered free to families by professionals, all whom served in uniform and understand the needs to be addressed. I ask for your support. So please, go to our website, warriorstocitizen.org, and find out how you can help, either by making a donation or sharing this information with an American hero that you may know. And thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. And we're back on America's Web Radio and the David's Pick Show. And we've got a very special guest, Keith Forrest Post. He is a senior chief, or was, retired. And, um, you know, Keith, we've been talking about what you do with the St. Mary's uh, Museum and so forth, the Submarine Museum. But, um, you know, people don't, a lot of people don't realize that submarines go back to even in the Civil War, and why in the why, what is this call for people like yourself to want to be underwater, have, you know, two, three hundred, a thousand feet of water between them and, and the sky? I just, I can't understand folks like you. <laughs> well, you know... Some of us under the undersea warriors would say the same thing about the flyboys and wonder why would they want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. But uh, you know, submariners are a little different. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll be the first to tell you that, but we're also a proud bunch, and uh, we love what we do. We have a passion for it. I think growing up, you know, uh, as I mentioned, my dad was in the Coast Guard. In fact, I think uh, he's a retired Master Chief, by the way, so he's senior to me in more ways than one. Uh, but I think I learned how to swim before I learned how to walk. And uh, I was always fascinated by those early shows, uh, like 2000 Leagues Under the Sea and, and other ones. So submarines always fascinated me. And uh, and I loved sonar, the sound and the ocean. Um, you know, when, I was in, when I was in college, I studied, studied oceanography. And uh, you know, just learning all about the, the sea, I, I got scuba certified and all that. that just, submarines just fascinated me. But uh, you... Uh, you get a bunch of submariners together, and they'll tell you that it's, it's the best there is. <laughs> well, let me ask, uh, when uh, when you're with a bunch of submariners, uh, or, or I was going to ask, too, the difference between when you served and the submarines today and, and even the past submarines, I, yeah, I look at the, the World War II submarines, and... We didn't have the, well, we didn't know the technology, and what a difference the transistor has made in the submarine business and, Absolutely. and all business. Absolutely. You know, it is remarkable to me. One of the one of the joys that I have each summer is I get to, we have a great partnership with the Navy base, so, so many different things that we do with the Navy base here, but one of them is uh, I have the chance to give a submarine history lecture to Naval Academy midshipmen who come here in the summer 
to do a summer cruise on a submarine to learn about submarines. They usually go, you know, they go to aviation places, they go to a surface ship base, they ride a surface ship, they do a submarine. But uh, we formed a great partnership about six, seven years ago with the base. And uh, so I get to share a lot of this with them. And it's, it's important to remember where we came from. And, you know, the submarine force in our country started in 1900 with the purchase of the USS Holland. Um, and uh, the, between then and World War II, when World War II started, uh, you know, we lost nine submarines during that time uh, in different accidents, um, and uh, we really cut our teeth as a force, uh, learning, uh, you know, it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of experimentation, to be quite honest, and, uh, and we were learned a lot during that time period. And then during the war, during World War II, um, you know, the first couple of years, um, we had a lot of problems with the Mark 14 torpedo, and uh, it was it causing all kinds of problems. We lost a couple of our own ships because of our a faulty torpedo. Um, but when they got that all fixed, it was the submarine force during the second part of the war that really turned the tide. They sunk over 60% of the shipping, uh, and Admiral Nimitz is famously quoted as saying it was our submarine force that turned the tide of the war. Um, and, and saved a lot of lives. But uh, they also paid a heavy price, as I mentioned, for that. But the technology is it, it, constantly uh, evolving. And, you know, I have been very fortunate in my position here, and uh, uh, I was all, I'm also very involved in the Navy League, which supports all of our sea services. I've, been, I've uh, visited many congressional offices on Capitol Hill advocating for funding for the Virginia class and the Virginia payload module and all kinds of things over the years. As an, I was Navy League president here for three years and state president for six. So um, I've I followed the evolution. Even though I'm, I retired in 17, 18 years ago pretty soon, uh, I've still kept my fingers in the water, so to speak, and have been very involved in it. And and our changing that, that was uh, not, technology that was... is amazing. Like the Virginia class, for instance, as I mentioned, is about 17 feet longer than uh, our old L.A. class. And they are a remarkable platform. It's one of the most successful acquisition programs in the Department of Defense because they've done a partnership agreement with Newport New Shipbuilding in Virginia and electric boat in in uh, Groton, which is where our submarine force really started, and they they, they were building a couple a year, and they they do a lot of cost saving measures uh, between the two shipyards to be able to keep them both in business making submarines because we need that. We used to have yards all over the country that made submarines during World War II. They were built everywhere from uh, you know uh, Vallejo, California, to Groton and to places in between. Um, and then our our uh, new newest class that's coming out is the Columbia class, and that is going to replace our Trident submarines that are here in Kings Bay and our sister base in Bangor. They are going to be about the same length. They will carry a few less missiles than our current submarine, um, and they will never have to go into the shipyard for a refueling. They're going to be designed, like our Virginia class are, to go 33 years without a refueling. Um, Right now, our current Trident fleet, when they get to about the 20-year point, they've had to be refueled, so they get taken offline for a couple of years. But the technology has gotten just incredible. I would have never thought when I was making patrols that I would ever see the day when I would get email messages. <laughs> we used to get 40-word, what were called family grams, that would come over the broadcast, and your family, you would get, could, you could get eight of them on patrol. And I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's like a letter from home, like on the surface ships when they get a mail drop. This was our little thing, and... and uh, you had to keep in good graces with the radium in because you didn't want him to lose your family. <laughs> but um, you would memorize those words. And I'll tell you, I, I know I keep referring to my dad, who is my hero, but my father 
had such a great way of cramming so much information into 40 words. My first skipper, Captain Chotbacks, he used to have me come explain to him what was in that family grant because you, you weren't supposed to send anything that was bad or anything because what can you do if you're, you know, 500 feet under the ocean and 2,000 miles from home and somebody in your family passed away or something, if they can't get you off the boat, it, it, it's not going to do you any good to sit there for a month and uh, worry about it. So they're very careful about what they, they do. But that technology has evolved so much, they get email out there now. It's just amazing. It and, is. And it's satellite and all that. But I will tell you, David, the one thing that I tell every young kid that comes to the museum or families or, or whatever, uh, you know, a young kid that hasn't earned his dolphins yet, as fast and as furious as the technology happens and the, the improvements that we have and the great things that we have, the equipment, all of the neat things that they get, especially in the sonar world, it has just trained so dramatically. I'd probably be lost if I sat in the sonar room right now and tried to operate some of that equipment. But I will tell you, the success of what we do as a force relies every day on the men and women who wear the uniform who operate that equipment. It's only as good as the people operating it. It's only as good as that skipper who employs it. It's only as good as the training that you do and the drilling and the constant improvement, personnel improvement, constant learning. That's what makes us successful. Let me ask you, Keith, I, uh, and I've told this story too many times, but, uh, you know, at my age, every now and then I'll have a flashback and uh, think about when I was in basic or AIT or something, and and it'll just be like a light bulb goes, now I understand why we did that. And at the time, (laughs) I was thinking, why in the world are they doing something like that? And yet, we have the best trained. We have the in the Army, the the DIs and uh, drill instructors and all of them, everybody is well trained, and I would assume that's true. You probably, do you ever have those feelings uh, going through Navy boot camp as opposed to basic training or whatever? That you know, why in the world were we swimming around with a finger in our ear or whatever? You know, uh, you know, David, you you remind me of a story. I got a, you know, as you mentioned at the top of this show about sea stories, I got one that I love to share. And it has to deal with what you're talking about right there. So I went to boot camp in 1981 in Orlando, Florida. I was from New Smyrna Beach, just below Daytona, so it was only about 50 miles from home. But I went to boot camp there. And uh, I was a section leader, so that means that, uh, you know, you had six sections. So you three on one side, three on the other. And I had about uh, 15 guys, 10 guys, 15 guys, something like that in my section. And uh, we had to, we had a, a locker in front of each rack, and you had to have everything folded just, just. Your underwear had to be just this way, and everything had to be stenciled. Everything had to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day, our company commander, uh, Chief Petty Officer Robinson, came in early, and he threw the garbage can down the center of the thing. It was like 4.30 in the morning or something, and uh, we had to all get up, and we're all standing in front of our bunks in our underwear, and he's just furious. And he's going down. And before he was done talking, he had gotten in the face of each one of us there, and explained why it was so important that we fold that underwear just so. And he said, because if I can't trust you with doing a $2 pair of underwear, how am I going to trust you with a $2 billion submarine or a plane or this or that? And the reason why he was so upset that morning is that day, a couple of pilots who subsequently tested positive for marijuana, I believe, had crashed on the aircraft carrier, I believe it was Nimitz, I, I can't remember for sure, but it, it, they, they had a, an accident with pilots on an aircraft carrier, 
and he took that advantage, or took, he took advantage of that tragedy to instill upon us how important attention to detail was and following procedures because somebody's life depended on that. And I will never forget that. And, and believe it or not, this Friday marks 40 years. I got on a Greyhound bus headed to Jacksonville on the 15th of May. I raised my right hand and then took a bus to Orlando, and that's when my journey Navy journey began. So I sort of started and finished within 40 miles of where I started and, uh, and, and finished here in the Navy. Well, we're going to take our second break right quick, and uh, we'll come back. Actually, this will be our last before we wind up the show. But, um, Keith, again, thank you for your service, and thank you for being one of those guys that can be locked up in a big bubble for a long time and uh, survive it. We'll be back with Keith right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand, joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on David's Pick with uh, Keith Post, who was a senior chief, right? Yes, sir. And uh, we're glad to have Keith on. And this has been... fun talking about uh, submarines and uh, stories. Love those stories. And again, we encourage every veteran, get your granddaughter, grandson, your son, whoever, or anybody else's son you can grab, get them on your knee and tell them the stories about when you served. And it's, uh, I've got to admit that I am very fortunate to live in Georgia and we have the submarine museum we have uh, the georgia military veterans hall of fame here we have the the wall that heals out in john's creek and then we also have peachtree corners memorial and i can't think of a you know if you can't get away and and this is going to be something that we're going to have to contend with with this gas shortage right now and that is you may not be able to take the long trip but you can certainly take the day trips and go to some of our our great military-oriented locations, and um, you'll enjoy every minute of it, and it's a good opportunity to talk to your kids about what the flag means, what serving means, what raising your right hand means, and how important it is not only for yesterday, but for the future. And we have to have a strong military, and it's it's always paid off. It's sort of let me ask Keith. It was sort of like World War Two. We sort of got caught with our pants down, and uh, 
we had to do some pretty fast catching up. And uh, absolutely, the uh, the Germans were sinking, and this again is a branch of the military that uh, well, it's not the military really, but a branch of. And what do you do for this? The the uh, the here I am, duh. Uh, merchants mer- merchant marines. They served, and they transported goods and weapons and everything else across the Atlantic to Europe, and many of them were blown up by submarines, the Nazis or U-boats. Unsung heroes. Exactly. People don't even know about the merchant merchant marines and the job that they did during World War II. And continue to do to this day, absolutely. Uh, David, while you mentioned about the different museums around the state, could I take a moment to share with you something new that has just happened? Um, a group of museums got together last year, and they started, and the, the Summary Museum didn't come on until very late. Uh, we were very fortunate to, to uh, be able to join this group, and they've put together what's called the Georgia World War II Heritage Trail. And what it is, it's a group of 10 museums across the state that are specifically have things that are World War II related. And uh, they start with the Currie Museum up in Tacoa, uh, the 98th there in, in Pooler, right outside of Savannah, the World War II Homefront Museum on St. Simons, our museum in St. Mary's, the World War II Flight Training Museum in Douglas, the Georgia Hall of Fame in Warner Robins, the Museum of Aviation in Warner Robins, the Commemorative Air Force in Peachtree City, the National Prisoner of War Museum on Andersonville, and I know you've had Fred Boyles uh, on your program as well. Fred's a good friend of mine, used to be uh, here in St. Mary's. And lastly, the National Infantry Museum in Columbus. And because of COVID, we didn't have a formal launch yet. We sort of had a, uh, a, a soft opening in February, but uh, this fall we'll be looking at... Uh, uh, looking out for news uh, releases, but we're going to have a kickoff uh, in September, and uh, we're very proud to be a part of this. And if you, if you Google uh, Georgia World War II Heritage Trail, it should bring you to the website. You can click on each one of those, and they'll tell you about what they do at each museum. And we sort of have a passport that's patterned after the National Park Service's passport. You can download it on the website, or you can uh, get one at one of the participating museums to try to see all of them. And on the website, there's a like you said. Uh, you could take a, there's a, a coastal journey, there's a, there's two other, um, they have plans where you could do a, more than one museum in a day. But it's a, it's a great new um, a, a trail here in the state of Georgia, and I'm really honored that uh, and grateful to all the folks who worked so hard putting it together that they brought us on board uh, and were able to be a part of it. Oh, that's, you know, that's absolutely super. Um and I'm glad to know about it. And will you, would you mind taking on the uh, responsibility of sort of keeping us posted on activities and uh, things that Absolutely. they Absolutely. Be happy to. I'll oh. send you information about the website and uh, let you know when we have the formal kickoff. Fantastic. Uh, you know, there are so many things that, uh, and we always, we always push this, and I'm sure you're involved. I just... I have no doubt that you're involved with, uh, uh, anyway, involved with uh, some of the local organizations, VFW or whatever, but uh, we always want to remind all veterans and their families, because a lot of times the families uh, get, 
I don't want to say overlooked, but they just don't know. But there, any of the service organizations, VFW, American Legion, whatever it is, they have men or they have women that are volunteers, but they're volunteer service officers. And there are so, so many benefits that veterans don't realize that they have, and certainly the families don't realize that uh, they have them. And uh, I think you're right, and uh, we try to make those that information available at the Museum for Veterans as well. And, uh, David, if I could go back to one thing I was talking about earlier, I don't want to forget this because it's important. I told you, Let me you asked ask me you. about the submarine force and the technology, the... Um, I told you we lost nine submarines before World War II and 52 during the war. What I didn't get to was we lost four after the war. They were two diesel boats, the Stickleback and the Kachino. Um, and then we lost two nuclear submarines. The USS Thresher went down on April 10th in 1963 during, during sea trials. And then we lost the USS um, a scorpion in May of 1968 south of the Azores. 99 uh, men lost their life on that submarine and 129 men lost their life on the, the Thresher. What I want to mention about the Thresher is the Thresher was sort of a Waterloo moment for the submarine force. Um, it was a terrible tragedy. You can imagine in 1963, it was the height of the Cold War. You know, President Kennedy and the uh, Kennedy administration and the, our country had just gotten through the Cuban Missile Crisis, the, uh, you know, the October before. Um, and Khrushchev was uh, doing what he was doing over there in the Soviet Union. So we were trying to crank out submarines to counter the Soviet threat as quick as we could. Well, the Scorp the Thresher disaster made us take a breath and and it really changed the way the submarine force operates and and it changed really four basic things this is this is my my theory it, it changed the way we design submarines it changed the way we build them it changed the way we operate them and it changed the way we maintain them it brought about what's called the subsafe program which is a robust quality assurance program that installed backups to backups if you will and and different hydraulic systems to operate different valves and and different procedures for changing things out and x-raying and all sorts of things to make that submarine safe and while we lost the scorpion in 1968 the scorpion had not been overhauled and did not have all of those upgrades to it but since thresher we have never lost another submarine knockwood i feel very fortunate to that and i pray every day that we never do but that's a remarkable achievement when you think i somebody that's a whole lot smarter than me somewhere at subland or subpack or dod knows the number but um we have a whole lot more fast attack submarines than we do missile boats but just our missile boats have made over 4,000 deployments since 1960 when the George Washington made the first strategic deterrent patrol, and they've all come home. That's a remarkable accomplishment. And I know Mike Kotler sh shared with you during his time on your show about nearly getting cut in half by a service ship. We've had, <laughs> we've had some close calls, uh, and uh, we, we call those uh, bend over and kiss your butt goodbye moments. Uh, unfortunately, we've had more than we might be care to admit, but we've been very fortunate that everybody has come home on those boats because of that subsafe program, because of the legacy of the men of Thresher. You know, so uh, I, I always try to salute them and always uh, teach that uh, to our visitors, our youth groups, and, and everybody to remind them of, uh, you know, freedom is not free. That's uh, one of those uh, quotes on the Korean War Memorial in Washington, and uh, our submarine force paid a heavy price along with the rest of our military as well. 
You know, the, uh, we're fortunate that SubSafe came along. You look at our record, our submarine record, and you look at uh, Russia's submarine record, and they've lost a lot of boats. They have. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, uh, we'd like to remember and, and uh, pay tribute to those young Indonesian sailors that just lost their life a few weeks ago off of Indonesia when that submarine went down. It, uh, no matter what country you're from, uh, when you're a submariner, it, it uh, hits home. And a couple of years ago in November, uh, we lost the, or excuse me, Argentina lost a submarine, the San Juan, and 44 um, crew members lost their life on that. And uh, I actually became friends with the widow of the weapons officer of that submarine through the magic of Facebook. And we did a tribute to them uh, at the museum. We held a memorial for them. And uh, also we honored them at our submarine birthday ball that year, uh, paying tribute to them. So uh, no matter where, what country you work for when a submarine is lost, it's uh, definitely uh, definitely a gut punch to those of us who wear dolphins. I can only imagine, and, and this is something, again, that we stress, that uh, no matter what service you're in, you have a common respect, I guess is as good a word as any, for anybody that, that serves across the board, you know. And even I, I, I would go so far as to say you have a respect for our enemies uh, because everybody, one way or the other, you raise your hand and you'll die for your country. And if you love your country that much that you're willing to sign the, the ultimate check, as they call it, um, you know, it just... I, I get sick at the fact that we have 1% of our population that ever serves and that's absolutely that's a crime absolutely but that's yeah. the way it is and uh, you know this is keith this has been very interesting for a land lover and uh, i uh one of these days i'd like to get down to st mary's and if we if we can get gasoline Exactly. Well, we'd love to have you. I'd love to show you around, and I hope you'll invite me back because I've got lots of other things I can share with you. And uh, uh, to, I would like to let your viewers know that um, right now we just reopened. We had our grand reopening ribbon cutting on Tuesday, so we're back open. Uh, we are requiring masks for the time being until uh, things uh, get a little better uh, down the road a little bit. But uh, we're open from Tuesday through Saturday uh, from 10 to 5. In fact, uh, Gianna, uh, my gift shop manager, is there holding down the fort today while I'm doing this interview with you, and I wanted to give a shout-out to her. She is uh, she speaks submarine pretty well, too. Her grandfather was a World War II submariner, did 11 war patrols on the drum. Her dad was in the Navy, in the surface Navy. We, we've since forgiven him for that, but that's okay. Uh, and her husband's a retired submariner, and right now her son Jeffrey is on the West Coast serving our nation in uniform, too. That's fantastic. You've been listening to America's Web Radio and David's Pick with our special guest, Keith Post, U.S. Navy retired, and uh, I think he's getting over the, uh, even though he's the director of the museum, the submarine museum, maybe he's finally getting used to having his feet on dry dirt. Anyway, we'll be back next week with more on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.